0: Jeremy here, just before we get into the show, wanted to give an update. We have a new tier on our Patreon. That is the Sheikah supporter tier for $5 or more a month. You get a week early access to episodes as well as getting to pick games that you play alongside us. Each month, people in this tier can pick a game that we'll play. We'll stream it on our Discord for everyone else to see. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. We just played the Rogue Hero Ruins of Tassos game. Uh, which is this roguelike zelda like game that uh, is very similar to the old four swords games it's very chaotic it's very very fun if you want to join up in that go to patreon.com chat of the wild if you can't afford that, we do still have the smaller tier. Just a reminder, people that join in that tier, they get ad-free episodes. They also get access to our side quests episodes where once a month we record an episode just talking about all the other games that we have been playing. You also get to pick the games that we play in between Zelda games, what we call our Gaiden games, as well as getting a shout out. And if that sounds good to you, once again, go to patreon.com chat of the wild, sign up, support us. We really appreciate it. Anyways, that's all I have. So let's get on with the show. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Jeremy and Brian here just wanted to take a moment to tell you about something exciting that we're doing with chat of the wild starting in January. We're going to be launching our Patreon. Uh, it's very exciting for us. That's right. We, we're really just doing uh, $1 minimum a month gets you access to ad free versions of the show and then down the line if we hit certain goals. We're going to have uh, more things that we'll be able to do, including letting patrons vote on what we do for our Zelda-like, quote-unquote, Gaiden games. Gaiden! Uh, Also, a cool thing that we'll be doing is that for each of our new patrons, uh, you'll get a little shout-out in the most recent episode where you can tell us your favorite thing about Zelda.
1: Yeah, we'll have a little uh, questionnaire you can fill out.
0: So some of the goals that we have, uh, you'll be able to see on the Patreon is, like I said, voting for Gaiden Games. We're also talking about doing a monthly generic game review episode. Uh, whether that is we cover one single game that's like the new game to talk about, or if it's uh, each of us played a couple games that we want to talk about here and there. We're also talking about reviewing the the Zelda TV series, if you are old <laughs> enough to remember that. Yeah, that'll be fun as well as the Zelda manga book series. And we've also got some other things down the line that, uh, you know, if it gets big enough, we would like to do more to interact with our fans and to give them more good content. Also wanted to give a thank you to the people that have done interviews with us. Uh, it has been a blast doing this and we hope to do more with these people in the future.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Usually we take a a break for the holidays, but uh, this year we've lined up a few cool interviews with some people. Uh, We talked to David Spencer from the Come On Fahugwa Pods, uh, the Homestar Runner podcast. Uh, I, for one, enjoy listening to that. They're going through chronologically uh, every Homestar cartoon. And we talked about some Zelda together, and it was great. Yeah, we also talked to Andrew Funkhauser from Oh My Goss and a number of other podcasts as well. And also Jeremy Parrish, part of the, uh, or the head of the Greenlit Podcast Network, founder of Retronauts and a bunch of other stuff, got together with me to talk about Zelda
0: 1. Also want to give a shout out to Todd Hunt over at the Super Nintendad's uh he he didn't quite make it into our schedule for this one but we did record a great episode uh, talking about Minish cap with him that we'll be able to put at the end of the Minish cap season that will be starting at the beginning of the year
1: so yeah that's uh you have that to look forward to and a little end of the year episode of uh, with all of us here at Chat of the Wild so thank you so much for listening uh be on the lookout for the Patreon, and we love you very much and And we're all doing it differently, I guess.
0: So, yes, once again, thank you so much for listening to us. We've seen so much growth over the last year.
1: Yeah, it's been amazing.
0: Especially since joining the Greenlit Podcast group. Uh, A lot of great people on there. Hopefully, throughout the year, we'll be able to do more stuff with more people. uh, And we hope that you check out our Patreon and enjoy the interviews.
1: Hello and welcome to Chat of the Wild. I am your host, Brian Auer, and today we are continuing our guest series with uh, the host of Retronauts and a number of other projects, uh, Jeremy Parrish.
2: Hey there, thanks for having me on.
1: Yeah, thank you for for joining us. So uh, we're doing kind of an interview series this month where we're talking to people about their favorite Zelda game. And you decided uh, to join us and wanted to talk about Zelda 1.
2: Yeah, I wasn't sure if that would be a like a choice that everyone was scrambling for or if it would be an unpopular choice. I figure most people are going to say, like, Link to the Past, Ocarina of Time. Uh, but for me, the original Zelda is the one that really was the first, obviously, to pull me in. And um, there's still something about it that I think, you know, by design, Breath of the Wild is the only game that's really kind of caught that. And even then, it's it's not quite the same. Like, there's a there was something about the original Zelda, especially in its time and place, that it was just like no other video game experience, and uh, yeah. that makes it really special to me.
1: Yeah, that, I think that's kind of where this show came from, was it started out as a, hey, well, let's just play this new game and meet and tell stories. And then we finished it, and we're like, we should really go check uh, Zelda 1 out again. None of us had played it in years, and and we'll just like kind of compare it and see if like they really did... Pull, you know, kind of get that feeling, which I, I feel like they did a good job with with Breath of the Wild and, and and getting that that sort of Zelda one feel to it.
2: Yeah, I think I think you know, kind of what they were trying to evoke was one, the sense of of openness in that first game, where it was just like, hey, there's all this stuff, go figure it out, and two, the the fact that the original Zelda gave you a lot of equipment and and just stuff to juggle and you didn't necessarily know what it was for and you kind of had to figure it out and you would come across things and be like well I can't I can't get through here right now or I can't I can't get past this point right now so I need something but I need to figure out mm-hmm. what figure out what that is and it, it didn't really hold you by the hand for that and I really do feel like Breath of the Wild is the first game that that skips at hand-holding in a very very long time.
1: Yeah no I agree especially after I mean that was that became the the battle cry for for Zelda critics was "You're holding my hand every game now," and I'm getting sort of tired of it. Um, but yeah, like where in NES Zelda, I I kept trying to use that meat for forever because <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "It's got to, it's gonna, there's gonna come a time where I'll need it," and I just don't know when that will be. So I guess I'll just keep it with me.
2: Yeah, I think I think that's one of the puzzles that kind of suffers a little bit in translation. I don't remember what the what the Goraya there says in Just in Japanese? Grumble, grumble. Well, he says oh, he, yeah. in English, he says grumble, grumble. But that could mean a lot of things, like grumbling because of discontent. Like mm-hmm. when your stomach is is empty, it rumbles, not grumbles. Uh, but I think in in Japanese, they used a very specific onomatopoeia for like the sound of a churning hungry stomach so that was more intuitive and
1: yeah absolutely you
2: know the the translation was okay and especially for the time where there was basically there was no real history at that point of japanese games being localized with text into english it was pretty much like you either didn't get games from japan or you got games from japan that had no text in them or they only had english language text because they couldn't fit the japanese characters in there so they just went with romaji you know roman roman letters just because they are more efficient when you only have a little bit of space
1: yeah or or then they would have the the dev team themselves try and, and figure it out because well there's not much text in here we'll just we'll see if we can make do with what we know
2: yeah but you know thinking back that came out in 1987 there there were almost no games that had come from Japan with text in them. There might've been like a couple on master system at that point, but it was, it was just like, it was new. Like everything about Zelda was new, a new frontier, new, new territory in video gaming. You also had, you know, the fact that it had a battery backup. And I think Mm -hmm. there might've been a game very late on Atari 2600 or maybe not Atari. Maybe it was like on Epic, uh, Epic computer vision or whatever it's called. Uh, like you know in Japan a very small minor format it was it was some esoteric game that might have had battery backup before this that I'm I'm trying to think of what it was but but other than that you really didn't have that precedent so being able to just save your data in a cartridge as opposed to you know writing down a password Rewriting or something. just starting over every time that was that was revolutionary like just being able to jump in and have everything that you possessed when you stopped playing in your last session uh that really that added just this level of of immediacy to the game like you know it was five seconds from boot up to jumping into the action and you know you had all your money and all your weapons and everything like that was that was amazing
1: were these like watch batteries did nintendo just have a bunch of game and watch batteries lying around because they were infamous for for repurposing technology that you know, to save money on things.
2: They they were watch batteries. I don't know if they were the same as Game and Watch. It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, you know, just use use something uh, efficient like that. But it's funny yeah. because they they anticipated. You know, in the manual it said these batteries should last for five years, and still, <laughs> yeah. you know, thirty years later there are batteries that still work. It's it's really I remarkable.
1: And I should check my old cart uh, just to see. Um, I think I did maybe a long time ago, and I was like, uh, I don't think this is my original save, but. <laughs> Um, I, I also think by now it's, it's kind of more well known how this game came into being, whereas like in the sense that maybe 20 years ago, the story was like Shigeru Miyamoto is this guy in Japan and he's this genius savant and he like conjured this game up from his childhood. But like now it's more like, we know it's kind of his team's interpretation of a, a trend in Japanese gaming, like the, uh, the adventure, uh, RPG genre that was coming up there.
2: Yeah, I mean, if you if you look at Zelda in the context of what had come before it, there are a few games that I think you can point to and say like Nintendo must have been influenced like this. The biggest of those I think is the Tower of Draga by mm-hmm. Namco, which started in arcades. It was uh, the, the designer of the game Zevius was like, "What if I you know took this this kind of cool shooter that I made and instead of making a shooter, what if I made an RPG but you know for the arcades?" And so yeah. you're a guy with a sword. And you run around through these mazes. In each stage, it's kind of like Pac-Man as an RPG, almost. Uh, each I mean, stage it is, is Namco. A, so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a it's you're running around uh, in these mazes. Each maze maze is a single screen, and there are tools and power-ups hidden in these in these stages. You have to kind of figure out how to how to discover them. So there's this element of like replaying, of discovery, of sharing with people, like. No one, no one found all the secrets on their own, but uh, what I've heard is that at the time in arcades there would be like these little notepads that they would keep with the systems and people would oh, write down wild. like, hey, here's how you find the jet boots in level two. Here's how you find the potion in level seven, that kind of thing. So there would be just kind of like this communal shared knowledge around the games and strategy guides too. They had strategy guides that were a big business from the early 80s over there, uh, much more so than here. So that was a that was a big one. And and you can even see enemies like little slimes and wizards that vanish and disappear and then pop up someplace else in the maze and fire okay. beams of energy at you. They are whiz robes. Like they are yes, they, yeah. straight up whiz robes from the original well, Zelda. Orange
1: whiz robes, I guess.
2: Yeah, well they're in a different couple a few different <laughs> colors, I think. Uh yeah. but but yeah, Tower Doraga is is a big influence. But another one of those is uh Zanadu by or Xanadu, if you prefer to say mm-hmm. like that, whatever, uh, by um, Nihon Felcom. And that game in s- in particular, uh, you know, it's, it seems like it's a side-scrolling action game, but then when you enter a tower or dungeon, it switches to a top down view where it's kind of like this semi-real-time, semi-turn-based combat uh, in these standalone screens. And it looks very much, uh, you know, kind of... The sort of thing that would come before Zelda, and then there was also Hydlide, which uh, didn't actually oh, yeah. it didn't actually make it to the U.S. until 1989. By which point, it was extremely obsolete and hard <laughs> to get into. But but the original Hydlide debuted in Japan in 1984, two years before Zelda. And you know, if you look at Zelda, you can definitely say like, yeah, they they were taking kind of the elements of Hydlide and turning them into something good and more refined. And, mm-hmm. and you know, if you if you look back at the original design docs that Nintendo has shared, they've they've shown a version of Zelda that was originally going to be just dungeons. It's uh, they had like the stuff graphed out where there's a you know like a one screen image of a dungeon entrance, and then from that point on, you're just traveling through dungeons and okay. solving them. So okay. it, it evolved a bit, but um, yeah, like they they definitely were pulling from concepts you know that were sort of in the ether over there and turning them into uh, a very refined and very replayable kind of game one that I think still holds up pretty well I mean it's good to have a, a tip guide or you know some pointers to kind of get you through some of the more opaque areas but on the whole the original Zelda does hold up pretty well.
1: Yeah I I, I haven't played it since uh, it was probably about three and a half years ago that we did it for the show but I, I replayed uh, like this past week and I was surprised at just, okay, here I am, uh, give me the sword, let's go get the candle, let's go get the, the blue ring, and I'm off and running and just having the best time uh, just running around this very familiar world. Um, it, it's really solid. I'm, I'm A lot of time doing the show, I'm surprised at, like, we want to go back and see which ones hold up. And, and most of them still do, but it's I found myself looking for the ones that are still really solid, and this is one of them.
2: Yeah, although I think, you know, going back and replaying it now, it it is a different experience because you know this world, you know where the secrets are, you know which bush to burn. But in, you know, 1987, 88, when when we were first playing the game or, you know, when Americans were first playing it, uh, I don't know when you first played it, but um, it was around then for me. Like, there was a lot of mystery around it. There was a lot of just the sense of... Like, I don't really know what's out there. And as you kind of start to figure things out, it starts to make more sense. Like, eventually I realized there's always only one entrance per screen of the overworld. So once you figure See that th- once yeah, you Yeah, that would have been out.
1: really nice for an, uh, someone older, an older kid to tell me. Right. I did not know that when I was little, so...
2: Yeah, eventually I just kind of brute force figured it out. And then I was like, okay, I don't have to bomb everything. I just have to, like, find where the entrance on the screen is and then i'm done with the screen i can go on with my life so that was that was yeah. helpful but
1: yeah i i would run through my uh, i had a babysitter who when i went to bed she would play my nes and i would run around her world to find burnable things that nice cuz she 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 was a like she taught me how to play mario and, and a lot of other stuff and so we're like oh i'd i'd use that as a guide to, to for my playthrough
2: yeah. And for me, I had I had friends who owned NESs and Zelda before I did. I actually never owned Zelda back in the day. I just borrowed it a lot. Um, but I, you know, I would see them play and they would just, they, you know, had spent a lot of time with it. So they knew about s- certain things. So I would kind of see these and be like, oh, okay, I'll keep that in mind for later. And then, you know, a month or two later when I was finally playing the game, I'd kind of get to that point where they were and, and sort of fumble around saying, I know they did something here. I know someone bombed something or burned a bush and it was around in this area. So that was kind mm-hmm. of helpful to sort of get pointers. Uh, and then, of course, there was, you know, the usual um, the usual school network of the playground network yes. of or sitting sitting around before the class bells started in the morning of, uh, you know, talking about, well, I got to this part and I can't figure it out. Oh, well... That's where you need to just keep going up into the hills, and eventually you'll find a secret. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there was there was a lot of that kind of communal spirit, like there was in Japan with Tower of Duraga.
1: Yeah, and and I think we, we've talked about doing uh, Fazanadu on the show. Uh, it's like on our list, but not so much Tower of Duraga. I think it's just like I can see all of the influence in there, but and you like you need certain. Like, it's floor by floor by floor, and that's why I don't feel like it, it works for the, the format of our show, where we'll be like, okay, we're going to tackle floors 1 through 10 today, so meet back here doing that. Yeah, but, it's, but it's
2: it... a pretty repetitive game. There's not a lot of variety. It's like the enemies get harder and less fair, and the secrets become more obscure. But other than that, it's still, you're always Gilgamesh with your, your very specific sword skills fighting through brick mazes.
1: Yeah, and very interesting sword uh, control too. Like you have to, isn't it kind of delayed almost?
2: Yeah, you have to like hold the button to attack with your sword, and he holds it out and kind of run around with it. But you have to lower your shield to do that. So there's a sort of question of like, um, do you give up your defense in order to attack? And when you when you lower your shield, you actually hold it to the side. So then you become, you know, able to deflect projectiles and stuff from that side, but not face on. So. It's it yeah, takes a li- deliberate. Yeah, yeah it, it takes a little getting used to. Um, I really like the Game Boy version of Draga, which uh, came many years after the arcade version, almost a decade later. And they have made some small refinements to it. Like instead of giving you three lives and you can only take one hit per life, they just gave you one life, oh. but you had a, a health bar with like 100 points. So you could okay. take like six or seven hits. And it just made, or you know, it, maybe it was just like four or five hits, but it still just seemed more manageable because one small little goof up didn't force you to start the stage over.
1: Right. Yeah. That's another a game that I always hear come up in Metroidvania, uh, like proto Metroidvania discussions too.
2: Yeah. I, I don't know if I'd, I'd consider it, um, you know, like it's not really exploratory in, in the sense of a Metroidvania game. Cause there is, there's no backtracking. You're always going up the tower and, uh yeah, but okay. but just the influence that it had was was pretty significant like there is no action rpg without tower of draga i think.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah and they were like Namco was sort of playing around with this formula like like they knew they had something there. They also had some uh, game called what was it Dragon Buster in 85. Yep. Mm-hmm. So like you can see that they're they're like there's something here we we got, we just got to figure it out and then Nintendo sort of ate their lunch. Because Dragon Buster almost looks like a Zelda 2. Yeah, I mean, idea. Zelda 2
2: straight up takes the sword combat and style of Dragon Buster and makes it much better and then adds this much bigger <laughs> adventure to it. You know, like 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 Tower of Draga, Dragon Buster is a level-by-level game, although it does have kind of an overworld where once you beat a stage, you can choose to go different paths. And it's like, do you want to go through the forest or do you want to go through the caverns? But ultimately, it's going to reconverge and you're going to end up at a castle fighting a dragon. So there's not really that much exploration to it. But mm-hmm. but you can definitely see like the the roots of the action RPG with the health meter and the very particular jumping, sword, strike type attack. Like, It's very Zelda 2.
1: Yeah. I mean, and this is all happening in Japan, like over here. We, we sort of had the dungeon crawlers and, and the RPGs. Like, they didn't have as big of a following. Um, and unless you had a PC, maybe you'd only played, like, Warren Robinette's Adventure for Atari.
2: Yeah, and really on the PC side, I can't I can't think of that many, if any, action RPGs in sort of the console action RPG sense. Like, yeah, when you talk to PC gamers, they don't really think of action RPGs as existing before Diablos. Like to them, right. action RPG means Diablo. That is specifically what that term means. So everything like Zelda, Secret of Mana, you know, like Golvelius, all those things, like they don't factor in. They're like, well, that's just like an action game. That's an arcade game. But <laughs> but yeah, that that's really kind of selling those games short. So it, it is, yeah, just kind of I think, you know, frame of reference. People have very different way of parsing. Uh, genres and concepts and kind of stick to the, their their mm-hmm. their sort of preferred sphere of influence.
1: Right. Yeah, speaking of frame of reference, did you have, like, any experience with the kind of things Zelda was going for, or like, when you first played uh, NES Zelda?
2: No, uh, I, w- I wouldn't say that I did. I'd seen, you know, like, Exidy's Venture in arcades and maybe played it just a little bit. Um... I I played you know some sort of proto RPG action type games on TI ninety nine four A, but it 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 had always been just for like a minute or two like I never uh-huh. I didn't have the system my, myself, so it was always just a matter of me kind of you know finding an excuse to play someone else's machine and getting just a couple of minutes to be like oh finally so so yeah when I finally did borrow Zelda from someone. I pretty much kept it for like a month and, you know, just spent a ton of time during my summer vacation that year uh, trying to plow through it. And eventually I did beat it. And by the time I finished, you know, a few weeks after borrowing it, I was like, oh, I I get this game. So I jumped in and did the second quest and beat it like in three days. Yeah. Uh, like because, you know, the, the first quest took, you know, 10 times as long for me to finish. But once I got it, I got it. And I was like, okay, well, I beat the second quest and gave it back, and they were like, "You beat the second quest? How'd you do that?" So, <laughs> well, here that was let me funny. tell you, yeah, uh, just lots of self abuse.
1: You say Exidy made a, a game called Venture? Aren't they the people that made like Death Race? They are, yeah. Th- okay, not everything I didn't they, did they did was they kept uh, making games. Yeah,
2: not everything they did was uh, was you know uh, vile and and <laughs> controversial. Um, I think they didn't they also make Chiller? Wasn't that Exidy? Uh, oh, the hear. light gun game where you're shooting people apart. There's like prisoners and you're shooting them. It's terrible. I mean,
1: that sounds like that sounds like the kind of controversial thing they do. To but no, uh,
2: Venture was um, you know basically like their take on Warren Robinett's adventure. Uh, okay. But Done as kind of like an arcade game, and so you are like a little smiley face with a sword. Your name is Winky. It's very inspiring. <laughs> uh, but you're moving through these these dungeons with kind of like. Um, there's there's sort of like a large contiguous space, and then there are these sort of obscured spaces within the dungeon. And when you go into those obscured spaces, you're entering basically a room. And so then it kind of cuts to a zoomed-in version of the room. And you're fighting monsters and getting treasures and stuff. It's it's kind of clunky and kind of basic. I think it had a couple of ports. It was on Vision um so it was oh. it was a mild you know moderate hit back in the day but i don't think most people remember it that well
1: yeah because it wasn't controversial right yeah <laughs> i mean
2: you're playing with winky and that's about it
1: yeah i mean i i his uh the steven Kent's book has his picture in like the the middle part um and just when i see the guy who who started Exity, i'm like yeah that that seems like the kind of sleazy guy he just looks like it yeah that would, that would make a game about running people over.
2: To check that out.
1: <laughs> um, this probably is a good spot to take a break, so uh, we'll be right back after
2: this. Hi, I'm Ray, and this is my friend Alex.
1: Hi. And we do a show called No More Whoppers. Between us, we're as old as four RPG protagonists.
0: And now Alex will give us a funny anagram for the name of the show. Uh, Big old knockers. Uh. Join
2: us every month or so on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Video Death Loop is a podcast where we watch a short video clip on Loop until we just can't take it anymore. Along the way, we'll try our best to make each other laugh and to hold out longer than the other guy. You can jump in on
1: any episode. No need to worry about continuity. Check out Video Death Loop on the Greenlit Podcast Network with new episodes every Friday. So when you you think back to that summer when you had it for a month, like what's the biggest impression that that it made on you, uh, Zelda One?
2: Hmm. Well, you know, I I'd, I'd played the game at friends' houses before and kind of watched them play. Like I said, so I guess the the biggest impression that it made on me was just how big the game actually was and how challenging it was and kind of you know how quickly the challenge ramps up because by the time you're in like the fourth or fifth dungeon you're facing entire rooms filled with blue dark nuts who are the mm-hmm. the blue knights that can only be hit from behind and you have to hit them twice to kill them um, and, and that's if you have the
1: better sword yeah
2: or actually I think it's more than twice but yeah it's uh, they, they take a lot of they take a lot of a beating and they're very very difficult to hit because they have this very erratic tendency to like walk in one direction and you think oh I can get in and stab them from behind and all of a sudden they turn around and there's no way to predict it and all of a sudden you're like going in for the kill and they turn around and they plow into you.
1: I was going to say, there's there's never really a good answer when you get to the schoolyard either for that. Because you'll have friends that are just like, lay, lay all your bombs down. Like, well, I did that and now I'm out of bombs. No, <laughs> And you, there's still six of them. You really
2: just have to kind of uh, be light on your feet and mm-hmm. sort of dart in, take a quick stab, take a quick poke and then duck back. And be, mm-hmm. be prepared to turn around the second they turn around. Because it's going to happen and they're going to get you.
1: And in, in, in that sense, though, it's still kind of fair because, like you said, if, if you don't make your move, OK, well, I'll have to wait till next turn where like we played Golden Axe Warrior and it just felt like some of the so many of the enemies were just random. And I found myself pining for the blue dark nuts because I was like, well, at least I I could deal with them. It, it wasn't like punishing in a deliberate kind of prick way like where i felt like the the designer had something against me or the developer did.
2: Yeah, it's it's such a a tricky tricky line to walk. Like how do you make something that's challenging without being just ridiculously unfair? And i think Zelda does a pretty good job of it. There there are parts in the uh the second quest that are downright unfair, but at that point you're you're really, you know, you're you've you've solved like 15 dungeons already in the game. So yeah, you know what you're yeah. in for. Like, okay, so there's going to be a bubble floating around that's going to permanently take away your ability to use your weapon unless you find the other color bubble. So avoid it at really? all costs.
1: Yeah, yeah. See, I haven't played second quest.
2: Okay, so in the first quest, you know, the bubbles are like those little kind of weird, like tumbleweed things that float mm-hmm. around, and they sort of they, they flicker colors. They're kind of flashing as they move around. In the second yeah. quest, instead of flashing between red and blue, there are red bubbles and there are blue bubbles. And I believe the red bubbles take away your ability to use your sword permanently. Uh, until you... Until you find a blue bubble. And the blue, bu- blue bubble gives it back. Whereas in the first quest, if you hit a bubble, you lose your ability to swing your sword for like five seconds. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you, you just get it back automatically. But in the second quest, like there are rooms that are just red bubbles. Or they will be like a room with dark nuts and like likes that eat your shield. And maybe there's a whiz robe jumping around and also a red bubble and there's no blue bubble in sight. So in addition to like taking out all those enemies, you have to really, really work hard to avoid the blue bubble because if you don't, then you're basically down to using your sub weapons. And each of those enemies I just described is vulnerable to a different kind of sub weapon. Like you can use the, the magic wand and uh, the, 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 the Bible, you know, that causes it to burst into flames against Uh the Wizrobes, but, or, and against the like, likes, but that won't work against the dark nuts. So you have to use bombs against them. Uh, so yeah, you just have to really, it, it really, it really taxes your abilities, but it's also very thrilling and very satisfying when you actually do manage to win. And on top of that, you know, the second, the second quest, um, it's big trick is, uh, hidden passages in dungeons, that go only one way. So first of all, it has hidden passages. Instead of uh, bombing walls, you press against a wall and you'll go through the wall. Okay. And yes. it won't. It won't. You know, when you bomb, then it basically creates a permanent opening. But in the second quest, you you have some of those permanent openings, but you also have places where you just press against the wall and you'll go through. Sometimes you'll go through and you can go in both directions, but sometimes it's one way, and you'll be like searching and pressing and trying to find you know the secret passage and you'll find one and you'll think oh great that's uh you know I'm, I'm I found my way to a great secret and I'm making progress in the level but it's actually taking you back to a previous room or it's taking you onto a path where you, could, you have to go back to the beginning of the stage to find your way forward so right it's it's full of and a lot of really don't nasty go tricks through that.
1: yeah and then hope you, you you remember the room you were in and don't go through that wall again
2: yeah, and I I think you know I remember beating the game the second quest pretty quickly, but I'm pretty sure by that point I had Nintendo Power's first issue, which <laughs> okay. has uh, basically like the first six or seven dungeons of the second quest laid out to explain all this stuff. So,
1: okay. and this this was actual Nintendo Power, and not the Fun Club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Order? The first
2: for first issue of Nintendo Power, you know, it's people remember it for Super Mario Brothers too, but it also had this huge like, just expose on the second quest of Zelda, which, you okay. know, I think there was a, a Zelda tip book that took you through the first quest that you could buy separately. Uh, there was also the... Um, the uh, that Nintendo NES uh, strategy guide book. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen that, but it's, like, a black cover. It has guide tips, you know, maps and stuff. Oh, okay. For, like, everything no, basically no, up haven't. through uh, early 1988. It's got, you know, like... Here's maps for Castlevania. Here's maps for Commando, Kid Icarus, Metroid, and it had the first quest of Zelda in there, but it didn't have the second quest. So mm-hmm. Nintendo Power came out with the second quest as kind of like, "Hey, you picked up the first book, now you're on the second quest, and it's destroying you. Let's let's walk you through." And I'm I'm not afraid <laughs> to admit that I probably used Nintendo Power to get through the second quest, or at least a good way, good 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 portion of the way through. Right. But yeah, so so my, my big impression, I guess, you know, to go back to your original question, was just like, this game is so big. And, you know, the first the first NES game I had bought beyond Super Mario Brothers was Metroid. And it took me a long time to kind of figure out, like, what does this game expect from me? And once yeah. I did figure it out, then I really liked it. But it was like there was there was a month in there where I was like, well, I have this game and I'm never going to finish it because I don't really understand it. And once I kind of cracked the code, then I did understand it, and I was like, exploring is cool, and I love it. So Zelda was just, you know, more of that, but in a different sort of context.
1: Mm-hmm. I think uh, Metroid also lent itself more to taking notes than than I would have in Zelda. Oh, you think so? Yeah, I, I, I guess maybe... I mean, I was really... I didn't... The people in my age group weren't playing Zelda as much as I was. I was really young at the time. So I guess... I played Metroid and, and I did take notes, but I didn't in Zelda.
2: Well, I, I, I drew maps for myself for Metroid, but with Zelda, like, I feel, you know, the the kind of slower pace of it, you know, it's not as much of an action game as more of a semi-RPG. Yeah. Um, I feel like that that lends itself pretty well to taking notes. But then again, I don't remember taking notes for it. And I think that's because every dungeon has its own map. And the game came with a fold-out map. So, mm-hmm. you know, it didn't have, like, the the northwest and northeast corners fleshed out that was like find out find out for yourself but um you know it it did give you a lot of kind of a helpful hand to get through the game
1: yeah and and then in the dungeons there aren't really like puzzles that you would need to like I guess you could write down if you could write down hey remember this is the room where this happens but I I can't think of uh, an example where that would have been you know advantageous whereas in later Zelda games it'd be like okay this is the room where you do this or you have to come back for this or whatever.
2: Yeah, usually in Zelda it's it's pretty much like if you see it you can grab it. And yeah. So then the question becomes like you know, where are these things? Where is the entrance to level 7? It's where fairies don't live. Yeah. But what does that mean? Uh, fairies don't live on most screens in the game. That's not that doesn't <laughs> that doesn't help me. <laughs> so, yeah, it was more about, like, just finding stuff as opposed to I found a thing, but what is it for?
1: Yeah, that's that's what I usually end up, like, looking up when I play it again. It's like, oh, I forget where Seven is. Uh, I need help with that. And, you know, Seven is actually the fairy uh, where fairies don't live. Actually, that is the one. So I was we were both thinking the same one. Um, Yeah, I, I guess I like, I feel like I like the overworld more than... Than um the dungeons but i guess it's probably because i spent more time in the overworld back when i didn't understand the game as well um and just seeing how far i could get into the the really evil parts of the game when you're way under leveled
2: Mm -hmm. yeah like oh yeah i can take on a lionel with a wooden sword and (laughs) three hearts i can do that yeah yeah take that blue lionels
1: sneak past them and and to that that one screen when the frame rate just dies because they're all shooting Mm -hmm. swords at you uh, I've been playing a lot of Hades this week too, and and you know that happens a lot when you're when you're playing two different kinds of things. You'll start to see similarities, but just that room, like thinking of each screen as a room, uh, has really gotten into my head. Where I'm like, yeah, I, I'm playing Hades and I'm playing Zelda, and and they're sort of the similar in that way. I just think of each encounter as an encounter.
2: Yeah, I haven't played Hades, but um, I, I definitely think that the the game was kind of built with. Uh, Zelda was, was built with a mindset that these are individual rooms uh, because everything was sort of a standalone screen-by-screen exploration. So I think mm-hmm. that's I think that's a totally valid way to look at it.
1: I, I also find myself leaving the dungeons in this game more often than I will in other Zelda games, where like, I feel like when you get into a dungeon, you're there until you're done with it. But here I'll be like, well, I need more bombs and and I could backtrack to kill more you know bad guys earlier in the dungeon or I could just leave get more health you know fill up on stuff i've got plenty of rupees
2: well i mean it's it's the one zelda game where you can leave the dungeon go to a shop buy keys and then go back and unlock a bunch
1: of doors it's just they're expensive
2: yeah they are but but you know starting with a link to the past nintendo really started to design zelda dungeons to be explored in sequence i think i think there's like one pair of dungeons that you can explore Before the one before the other, either way, in Zelda Three, Link to the Past. But um, other than that, it's pretty much like you go to this dungeon, then you have the ability to go to the next one, and then the next one. Whereas this, there is there is some of that because you need like the raft to get to the third dungeon, and a ladder to get to another one, and you need um, you know the flute from stage five to open up level seven. You need a candle to open up level eight. And, of course, you need the Triforce to get into nine. But, you know, once you actually open up the the, the pathways, you don't have to go to that stage. You don't, you don't have to complete that stage yet. You can complete mm-hmm. them way out of sequence. You can go, like, into the dungeons in sequence far enough to get the tools and, like, totally kit yourself out and then make yeah. level eight the first dungeon you complete and work your way back to level one if you really want to. Like, they, you know, there is this ramping level of difficulty and complexity, so... If you, if you start with 8, it's going to be really hard. And by the time you get to level 1, it's going to be like, wh- why am I even <laughs> bothering? This is ridiculous.
1: Yeah, I, I played uh, Zelda 2 like that, where I got, I'd got i get in, find the item, move to the next one. Um, so that I was really doing it so I could get to more towns to get more power-ups. But um, I yeah had to go back and, and finish. Done. Like, oh yeah, I never finished 2. I should probably do yeah, that. Yeah, but
2: th- that can be kind of advantageous in Zelda 2, because when you place the gem and the statue at the end of each palace uh it it takes you to the next experience level so if -hmm. all your experience levels are like five or six then you're going to get a huge amount of experience for completing a stage whereas if you are all like level one and two when you first beat Parappa palace you're basically going to get like a little beep oh you leveled up congratulations there you go that's nice
1: yeah um, I think also with one and going back to the keys, uh, where a lot of times you can get out of a dungeon with more keys than you walked in with mm-hmm. because of bombing the walls. Like, y- you know, is it, is it three that you can just bomb your way into the boss room is where it? the Dodongos are? It might be. Yeah. Um, and so like, I, I, I think I came out of three this week with four keys on me and I was like, oh, well I'm, I'm doing just fine.
2: Yeah. It's a... Uh... It's definitely a game. I mean, you eventually get the magic key, so at that point, keys yeah. become just completely useless. It's, you don't even need to pick them up. So, I it, mean, that's an eight, though. So yeah. you have to really work for that one, right? But but still, even even so, um, yeah, it's just a, a game designed with a different mentality. They hadn't quite fine tuned it yet to be the puzzle game that it would eventually sort of be. Like every mm-hmm. every labyrinth is a self contained puzzle, and basically each room in the labyrinth is is self contained, and occasionally. You'll find places where you have to do something in one area, and it'll affect the other. But that's those are pretty uncommon.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. It's 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 really simple for the Zelda formula, but I don't know. I'd, it has such an impact. I mean, maybe just because it's the first of, of its you know kind, but yeah. It, this every time I boot this game up, I'm reminded of just like how big of you know much of an impact it left on me. And in a way that not many Zelda games do. Uh, yeah. Oh, sorry. Go oh, ahead. yeah. I was
2: just gonna say. I think that's something Breath of Wild. Breath of the Wild does pretty well. It recaptures pretty effectively. Is that mm-hmm. sort of sense of yeah, just kind of do it your own way. Um, solve solve the little labyrinths as best as you can. And there may be some you can't solve right now, so mark it down. Come back later.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, I think they started to play around. I, I, Breath of the Wild might be my favorite instance of Nintendo letting you mark the map. Mm-hmm. Where in like the the DS ones, they were selling that as a like before the game came out, they're like you can you can make notes on your map, and I was like, oh, I've always wanted to do something like that. And in the the last few Zelda games that came out, that'll be great. But then the puzzles were actually required you to do that, or, or were, like they were memorization puzzles where you almost had to. Right. It wasn't. It wasn't like a oh I want to make this note. No, I really need to make this note. Yeah, it was kind of mandatory, which takes yeah. a little bit
2: of the charm away.
1: Yeah, and so in in uh like I was thinking about Breath of the Wild when when I watched my Path of the Hero replay for the first time, mm-hmm. and all of the big bad guys like Talus's, Lionel's, uh, um, Cyclops. Uh, why can't I think of the name of that? Um, but yeah, the the Hinoxs. Um, right they all had skulls on my map. And so when I was watching my little line run around, I would just see it run up to a skull and then there'd just be 12 X's in a row. And I'm like, yep, that's me fighting my first Lionel. Okay. So yeah, the, uh, the notes kind of meant something, mm-hmm. I think, in that one. So that's, that's I like that. Um, I I always think of this, the, so Shane Bentonhouse said something a long time ago about how... Uh, Zelda 1 like changed his life and he wouldn't be where he was if he hadn't played that game when he had played it and it left an impression on me because that's how I felt when I played Ocarina for the first time because I think I was just at that age where like I, I played a lot of Zelda 1 but I never really got it and it it clicked when I played Ocarina and like, what is it what do you think it is about like certain Zelda games that just like change the life of, of you when you're that age. Like they have a tendency to just be these huge things that, that your brain like has to wrap around and, and it kind of changes the way you think about what a video game could be.
2: Yeah, I I don't know if I'm prepared to make such a grand statement, but um, <laughs> I, I do think that there is something very compelling about the Zelda games. And yeah, I feel like the first one that you really sink your teeth into is going to kind of make you think and perform on a level that you haven't really done for a video game before that and maybe that's not as true now as it used to be but yeah. you know certainly for a long time Zelda was pretty unrivaled in terms of what it brought to that style of game and you know there's there's such a blurring of genre boundaries at this point and even even the Zelda games are kind of are they action are they RPG-ish what are they adventure what, what, is, what is this now so, yeah. um, you know, I, I don't think they're quite as unique as they used to be, um, and I think Breath of the Breath of the Wild still managed to really stand out uh, even amidst a very crowded field of open world action RPGs. So there is there is something to that, yeah. But I, I, yeah, I think I think there's just something about the series that's able to really sink its hooks into people, and Nintendo's really effective at doing that.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, cause I'm a huge, I would say I'm more of a Mario fan than I am a Zelda fan, but Zelda games are always like, it's usually, there's usually a Zelda game at the top of my, my most favorite game of all time list. So, but uh, yeah, I, I played through Mario 64 like two years prior and, and, you know, c- completed the whole game and spent all my time on it. And it still did not have the kind of effect on me that, that Zelda does, um, so I just always find that weird. I don't know what it is about Zelda games.
2: Yeah, it's it's interesting because I don't know that there are any Zelda games I would necessarily put on my like top 10 games, favorite games of all time list. Like I think all the Zelda games are very good and I really enjoy them, but I feel like they're a little too structured and you have to play a little too much the way Nintendo's designers want you to play them for, yeah. to really give that sort of freedom of expression through gameplay that I really like. And I guess that is what I like about the original Zelda is that it doesn't have those constraints and it's pretty much, you know, there's a reason that there are so many different kinds of like challenge speed runs that you can tackle for that game, like Mm -hmm. bombs only or don't get any sword, but the wooden sword, or, you know, just you can make up your own challenge and say, can I beat the game this way? And chances are good you probably can it may take a lot of patience it may be really difficult but the game can be beaten with these ridiculous constraints on the uh, uh, like applied to yourself so that's something I think really you know speaks to the game's favor
1: Mm -hmm. yeah I don't know if I've ever done that that sort of thing with a different game series I do it a lot with Zelda games where let's just see if if I can do it with this subset of whatever
2: yeah, I think I think some of the bigger NES games, uh, like bigger in terms of scale, in terms of content, are popular mm-hmm. for that. Like people love to do Final Fantasy runs with, you know, like Yeah. Can you can you beat it with only one character alive through the entire game? Or uh can you beat it um you Nothing know, with but like red mages. Yeah, red mages or white mages. Apparently the only one that's really literally impossible is all thieves. But every <laughs> every other format is totally doable.
1: Okay. I mean you just gotta really work at it,
2: yep, yeah, like white mages uh you you can do a lot of healing, but not a lot of damage, so yeah <laughs> definitely I mean, still at
1: least you're covered on that <clears throat> right, okay, well, um I think that's uh, that'll about do it, so I mean, thank you so much for taking time to do this um oh, yeah, it's absolutely. been wonderful to talk to you,
2: I don't know that we really talked that much about Zelda one, but um I guess that's that's I mean, kind of the what g- hasn't been said. <laughs> that's true. I mean, I could give you a history lesson on it, but I don't think that's really necessary. Um, I, I I think it's a great expression of kind of finding what can be done with the, the boundaries of technology and uh, you know new tech that was becoming a- available at the time, and just seeing what kind of video game experience you could have uh, with basically the the palette that was available and. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I think there's a lot of creativity and a lot of great uh, technical thinking involved. And so it makes for a a game with a lot of uh, a lot of durability.
1: Yeah, I'm impressed by how much they crammed into this game and and didn't have to do cheat stuff like make characters alternate flashing so that you can have more characters on the screen. Mm -hmm. Like the fact that they can get like eight people crammed into or, you know, eight dark nuts into a room is, is almost an achievement in and of itself. Um, but yeah, uh, thank you so much for talking. If you want to, uh, uh, plug what you're working on, you have so much stuff. I don't don't want to miss something.
2: Um, so people who like podcasts can hear me here on the Greenlight podcast network on the retronauts podcast that's weekly. And, uh, I also am the producer creator, the person who does a weekly YouTube series, uh, just loosely called video works where I look at the history of, different gaming console platforms uh like from start to finish in chronological order of releases i have tackled the original legend of zelda that's actually the most popular video i've ever produced it's close to a quarter million hits at this point so uh i don't know if i'll ever create anything that popular again but i guess people people like what i had to say about zelda so if you are interested in that it's like a 20 minute long video so not too much of your time just check out my name on YouTube Jeremy Parish P-A-R-I-S-H and uh, that's where you can find me and of course I'm also doing stuff with limited run games although not Zelda games maybe someday Nintendo will be like limited run work with us but until then uh, there are lots of Zelda like games though
1: yeah uh, we've covered many of them on the show so excellent Um, yeah if you want to send us a message we are on Twitter at chat of the wild also on greenlit every Wednesday Um, so yeah, thank you so much for, for taking
2: time to talk to me. Yeah. Thanks for having me on the show. It was fun.